Good morning, everyone. I hope you had a great time of praise and worship this morning. If you live with your family, I hope you did that, did that together as a family. If you uh, live alone, I pray and trust that you remember that you are never alone in Christ. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about that today. Anyway, I trust that we all had a wonderful time of praise and worship as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Man, oh man, does this ever feel weird. It's hard, and it's getting harder by the week to do this, to not gather with the assembly, this local church that we love so much. And, uh, but especially on this day. This is such a glorious celebration. And uh, by the way, big hello to everybody who's not a part of Living Word Family Church. We're glad you've tuned in, as it were. And we join you in praying, uh, if you have a home church, that um, your church and our church will soon be able to open our doors and gather again. If you don't have a home church, I pray that you hear something this morning uh, on this uh, broadcast that'll cause you to look into us when this is all over. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, let's pray real quick and we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day and thank you for the event that we're celebrating. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that your presence is as manifest and real in the homes of the people who are watching uh, as, as it is when we are gathered together. We know there's something special that we're missing out on, but Father, we know uh, that there's nothing that can hold you back from showing yourself strong in our midst, even though we are only virtually gathered. We pray, Lord, that everything that comes from this message, comes from this pulpit today, comes from your heart and touches ours. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit and your promise to reveal yourself and teach us to come alongside us and lead us and guide us into the truth of your word. And we give you all glory and praise for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife asked me the other day if I had my message ready for this weekend. And uh, I told her I didn't, which will come as no surprise to those of you who know me. But her next question was, do you at least know where you're going? This is a significant question because if I don't have my message done, that's one thing. But if I know where I'm going, if I've got a general uh, outline in my mind, that's not a big deal. It will tell her whether or not I'm going to be up late on Saturday or if I have to get up super early on Sunday to finish it. So I told her, yeah, I know where I'm going. Here's what I have in mind. Tell me what you think. The resurrection. I'm thinking of calling it he is risen. And she rolled her eyes as I kind of expected her to. I've told you before uh, a story, and I'm going to go a different direction with it, so I'm just going to tell you a short version of it. But the story of the religion class that I took back in college, which was a philosophy class on the nature of religion. And the final paper for that class was to be on our most cherished belief. And I had gotten to know the professor over the course of the class. And uh, it was some acrimonious debate sometimes. But we had a pretty friendly, friendly relationship. And as we were leaving that day, he asked me what I was going to write my paper on. And I said, I thought that would be obvious. And he said, well, I know you're going to write it on Christianity because I know you're a Christian. But that's too broad a topic for a, for a paper of this length. You're going to have to narrow it down. And I said, I know. I'm going to talk about the resurrection. And he expressed his surprise at that moment because he didn't understand why the resurrection was so central to Christianity. And I won't go into the rest of that story. All I'm saying is, of course, 
it's Easter. Don't get mad if I use the word Easter. I could launch into a whole defense of that. I will generally refer to it as Resurrection Sunday, but if I say Easter, you know what I mean. Obviously, on this day, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But is that too broad a topic for one message? What's the hook? What can I say about the resurrection that hasn't been said? What can I say that will blow you out of the water? What can I do to make this really interesting? You know, R.C. Sproul once wrote about being hired to teach some Bible courses at a Christian college, and the president of the college uh, called him and said, we need somebody young and dynamic, somebody who can really make the Bible come alive. And Sproul said it was all he could do. He was biting his tongue to keep from saying what was really on his mind, which was, what? You need me to make the Bible come alive? I hadn't heard that it died. I didn't even know that it was ill. Who was the attending physician, he wrote, at the demise of the Bible? No, he says, I cannot make the Bible come alive. The Bible is already alive. The Bible makes me come alive. That's really kind of how I feel about the resurrection in particular. It is such a glorious event, such a world-changing event, that there's nothing I can add to it, nothing I can say that'll even really do it justice, let alone make it more exciting or interesting than it already is. One more story and then I'll move into the word. I was having a conversation, this was, uh, oh my goodness, well over 20 years ago now, uh, back in my early days as a youth pastor. And I was having a conversation with a fellow youth pastor who um, was telling me about a parent of a, of a girl in his youth group who uh, was having some difficulties and she called him or called on him to complain that her daughter really just didn't have an interest in the things of God, in the word of God, in church, in the Bible. And was there anything that he could offer her to make it more attractive? What could he do better as her youth pastor to draw her daughter in to this relationship? Now this is a guy who was and still is a extraordinarily gifted minister. Uh, he lacked, he didn't lack anything in terms of uh, excitement and creativity. Uh, so this was a pretty bold request. Uh, but I like, uh, I like what he said to her. He said, I am offering her the crucified and risen Lord. If that doesn't appeal to her, then I, there's nothing I have that will make a difference. I love apologetics. Most of you know that. And I am also grateful to people right here in our midst who are so good at coming up with creative ways of reaching people. And I'm very thankful for all the tools and technology that we have at our disposal in this day and age. But back to the apologetics, I am really moved by so many different lines of reasoning that point to the truth of the gospel and to the truth of the Bible as a whole. Christianity has by far the best explanation and diagnosis of mankind's problem, problems, and by far the best solution to those problems. It is the most comprehensive worldview and the only one that offers real hope. But standing above all other lines of reasoning, above all arguments, and above all attractions, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the core, it is the crux, it is the sine qua non of Christianity. There are elements of Christianity 
that can be considered non-essential. And be careful that you're hearing what I'm saying. I think it was Wesley who said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So he would agree that there are non-essentials. Uh, but I believe, for instance, I believe passionately in the gifts of the Spirit. When I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, and healings and miracles being given to the church for mutual edification, uh, I see nothing that remotely suggests that these gifts have been rescinded. So I teach and I encourage people to embrace these gifts and their operation in our midst. But... If someone who has confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, who believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, who has committed their life to him, also happens not to believe in the gifts of the Spirit, I'm not ready to call that person an unbeliever. And when I say it's non-essential, I believe the gifts are essential in this sense. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. We were never meant to fulfill the Great Commission. We were never meant to to do church without the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he manifests in our midst. So in that sense, they're essential because we can never do it right without the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I do believe it is possible to reject belief in the modern day manifestation of the gifts and still be a born-again believer, still be a Christian. There are churches that put a different kind of emphasis on water baptism than we do here. There are churches that have different beliefs about the role of elders and the role of pastors. There are churches that just do church differently in a number of ways, from the music to the order of service, you name it. But all Orthodox Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of these churches, none of these denominations would exist but for the resurrection. You see, Jesus was a great teacher. The multitudes followed him because, among other things, he taught as one having authority and not as one of the scribes or the Pharisees. He was also a worker of great miracles, healings and exorcisms in particular, but he was also a prophet. And he spoke very clearly about what would happen to him. He often spoke in parables, which left... Uh, his disciples scratching their heads sometimes. And uh, he would say these things and then he would pull the disciples aside and explain clearly what he meant by the parable. And I think because he often spoke in parables, they didn't know what to make of what he said clearly about his arrest, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. I think this might be one of the reasons his disciples reacted the way they did or actually failed to react the way they failed to react when Jesus told them he was going to be arrested and crucified. Let's look at this first in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 43. We read, And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe they assumed he was speaking in parables again when he talks about being betrayed. How could he, the Messiah, uh, be betrayed into the hands of men? 
And so they're like, uh, I wonder what he really means by that. Oh, well, maybe he'll explain it later. Meanwhile, uh, Jesus, can I sit next to you in the coming kingdom? When you take your throne, can I be, can I sit on one side and my uh, brother sit on the other? In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31, we read this. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. Now I want you to remember a couple of things for context. Number one, this prediction, the one we just read, was the third time that Jesus spoke to them plainly. Uh, about this particular event. All three synoptic gospels, and I say it's the third time, I don't mean we see it once in Matthew, once in Mark, and once in Luke. All three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record three specific instances where Jesus predicted his arrest, his betrayal, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. In fact, that, that first quote from Luke there is the only one uh, of those that does not specifically mention the resurrection. This last prediction that we just read took place shortly before the triumphal entry, which is what we talked about last week. You remember this was the moment he came riding into Jerusalem and the crowds were embracing him. It was a grand entrance. It was a great reception where people were throwing their cloaks and uh, tree branches, palm leaves down onto the, rolling out the red carpet for him. His betrayal and death were probably very far from the disciples' minds because at this moment, things were looking really good. In John's Gospel, we don't read the same three predictions. What we have instead is a rather long discourse on humility and his, uh, also on his betrayal and death where Jesus simply talks about it more in depth. Uh, in, when Mary, who is the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, poured a year's salary worth of perfumed oil on Jesus' feet and uh, dried his feet with her hair, uh, Judas protested. You remember? He says, that's a lot of, we could have sold that for a lot of money and given the money to the poor. We could have fed people with that. But Jesus said, leave her alone. She has just anointed me for burial. This was the day before the triumphal entry. And he said that. And we read in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. 
Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. When Jesus talked about being lifted up, he was talking literally about being lifted up on that cross as that cross was dropped into its stand. I always point out uh, that we used to sing a song uh, that went, uh, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And if we just mean that in a general sense about lifting Jesus up, we can kind of get away with that. But if we're quoting Jesus in that song, uh, we have to understand what he was talking about. And it really is kind of a weird thing to joyfully sing about, crucify Jesus more, crucify Jesus more. And I know that's not what we meant, but that's also why we don't sing that song anymore. Anyway, we then read about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And we see him predict his betrayal specifically by Judas. Then he talks about how he is about to be glorified and says this in John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 33, he says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Annie Durant was here, uh, Annie and Kevin were here not too long ago, and she spoke on this verse, and it was uh, just a, a terrific, a wonderful message. But it's great, you, you stack that up against earlier in the gospel, when, Je when John, Jesus had been approached and asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. These were the two things. And this was the whole law and the prophets. And now he's saying, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, here in a, in a nation, in a world where there is so much self-loathing and so much uh, emotional baggage that people obviously, I mean, what suicide is one of the leading causes of death in certain age groups. And we're going to talk about loving people as you love yourself. Jesus said, no, I'm raising the standard. You love one another as I have loved you. And then sets the example for what that love looks like. Anyway, then... And, and by the way, let me throw out there, in terms of apologetics go, one of the strongest messages that we can send the world, yes, it's good to serve our communities, yes, it's good to love our neighbors, but one of the greatest things that will demonstrate to people who we are is our love one for another here in the body of Christ. Now, in chapter 14, we read this, beginning in verse 1. Very familiar passage and one of my favorites. He says, let not your heart be troubled. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, where was he going? Said they could not go with him. Now, many times I've heard it said, you know, well, Jesus was going to heaven. 
to prepare a place for us. He was going to heaven to build us a house, build us a mansion. In my father's house are many mansions. Uh, I, I've, I was at a, a funeral of somebody near and dear. I'll just say his name was Jim. Uh, it was. Uh, but I remember uh, an old pastor who preached a lovely uh, eulogy and a lovely message. And, and Jim was a builder, a very good builder. And uh, the, the pastor who was delivering this, this particular part of the service said, I can just imagine when Jim arrived on those streets of gold, Jesus handed him a hammer and said, Jim, welcome. Let's get busy. We got more houses to build. Well, and it's a nice, pretty picture, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, he wasn't talking about going to heaven to build us a house. He was talking about going to the cross to make us a reservation. He was going where he was going, the cross, to make heaven available for us. That's how he went to prepare a place for us. Our place was secured in heaven by where Jesus was going and where he was going was the cross. Oh, friends, read through the rest of John and do it soon. There's so, so much good stuff in here, but I have to get to my main point this morning. Uh, but just don't take my word for this stuff. It's in there. Look for it and read it for yourself, okay? Uh, because Jesus goes on then to offer them peace, real peace, and knowledge of, uh, a knowledge of God the Father, and joy, uh, and persecution, and eternal life. And he speaks very clearly about the ministry of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, now try to get this nailed down into your heads and in your hearts. These men absolutely loved Jesus. They have left all, not just to work for him, but to be with him. He is preparing them here for his departure, and this is the worst thing that they can imagine. They're still looking for some mysterious meaning behind his words, his prophecies, because they cannot come to grips with the fact that Jesus is going to die. And this is not just because of their flawed theology concerning Messiah's reign. Remember, they had this idea that the Messiah was going to come, lead them in some supernatural rebellion against Rome, who they considered to be the enemy. But this is also horrible to them because they love him. He's their friend. He's the greatest guy they've ever known. His presence has literally changed their lives. They cannot imagine life without him. I think I've talked a little bit about this kind of thing before. When you're in a situation, tough situation, uh, it's a really good feeling to be ready, to be prepared. If you are the guy who's not afraid of anything, the guy who has all the answers. I'll give you just a tiny little example. And this is a minor thing from uh, back in my National Guard days. I was a brand new second lieutenant. And I got sent out to California to uh, be attached to a infantry unit, light infantry unit, 7th Infantry Division. And they were doing a three-week exercise in, uh, at uh, their training grounds there, Hunter Liggett. And uh, I was brand new. I hadn't even been branch qualified yet. Hadn't been my officer basic course. I'm supposed to go out there and be an evaluator. Well, I was just hanging out with them. But at one point, we've got, I'm, out, I'm attached to a platoon and we're out in the woods somewhere on the side of some hill, some mountain. And uh, I get a radio call that the controllers and evaluators are supposed to meet at such and such a location. They give you a map grid coordinate and I'm supposed to go there. I did not know my way around this place. This is my first visit 
to California, period. I uh, had never been on this particular base, but I did know how to read a map and I knew how to follow a compass, but I got to tell you, I was nervous because I thought if I get lost out here, I have no idea how to find my way back. I don't know where, where anything is. I've got to trust the map. And I found out where I was going, but it was just a little bit of a scary journey, walking by myself in completely uh, unknown territory, territory that was unknown to me. You know what would have made me feel better since I didn't have all the answers? And since I was a little bit afraid, I would have felt really good if some PFC who had walked that walk and been there for years was simply walking with me. If you can't have all the answers, and if you aren't unafraid, the next best thing is to be with somebody who always has the answers and who is never afraid. That's who Jesus was for the disciples. They found that when they were with him, they didn't have to be afraid because his very presence calmed them because he was never afraid. He always had the answers. So, they can't imagine doing life without him. So it's extraordinary then that he tells them when he's talking about the Holy Spirit that it's actually to your advantage that I go away. See, what they are drawn to so deeply about Jesus, whether they realized it or not, is that he is the Spirit of God, God the Son, in a human body. What they are going to experience not many days hence is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in them. But this is still, at this moment, a very emotional, turbulent time. They are losing their best friend and their theology is going to be shattered. I want you to really get this because, yes, there were immediate theological issues. They had a flawed picture of what the Messiah was going to do, what he came for. But the impact on them was very, very personal. The best thing about their lives was having Jesus with them and now he is leaving them in the most dramatic way. Yet... He has promised to return. And ultimately, he has promised to receive them to himself in his father's house. They witness the horror of the crucifixion. I'm not going to go into exactly what the horror of the crucifixion was. Many of you have seen it depicted. Many of you have heard descriptions of it. It was a terrible way to die. And then they, especially Peter, dealt with guilt, very real guilt over their denial. Peter had promised, you know, when Jesus said, you guys are going to turn on me, you're going to betray me. Peter said, even if everybody else turns away, I won't. I'm willing to die with you if that's what it comes to. But they must have been holding out hope. He's going to do something at the last minute. We just have to have faith. You remember the thief on one of the other crosses? He said it mockingly. Hey, if you really are the Christ, if you're the Messiah, why don't you uh, get yourself down from here and us too while you're at it? I think the disciples, some of them at least, were thinking the same thing. But he died. He didn't faint. He didn't lose consciousness. He died. He was wrapped in burial cloths. And he was laid in a tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. Somebody else's. I know most of you have heard this before, but I love this. Uh, some folks have zeroed in on the fact that Jesus was an example of poverty. And one of the evidences of his poverty was they couldn't even afford his own tomb. Now, that wasn't poverty. That was good stewardship. Because why buy a tomb that you are only going to need for three days? Because on the third day, that tomb was empty. He appeared to the women. 
He appeared to the disciples. He was eventually witnessed by over 500 people at one time, and most of those people were still alive when Paul wrote about that uh, decades later. This is where I can go off track if I'm not careful. Because nothing, absolutely nothing but the resurrection can explain the rapid spread of the gospel, the growth of the church, uh, and uh, indeed the course of human history for the last 2,000 years. And this message has prevailed in the face of terrible persecution. The case for Christianity rests more than anything, far more than anything, on the truth of the resurrection. But the resurrection did something else too. It validated every promise that Jesus gave. Every other thing Jesus said. You know, he predicted his arrest, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. But he taught and predicted many other things. When he rose from the dead, he basically fulfilled the hardest promise there was to fulfill. The hardest prophecy. He kept the hardest promise to keep. We look at the resurrection and it causes us to look at everything else he said in a new light with a renewed respect. That should lead us to follow his teachings, to obey his commandments. Should lead us to take him seriously. Yes, he is our friend. Yes, he is merciful. He absolutely loves us. He is also Lord and God. It should also cause us to look closely at his promises, all of his promises in the Bible. All the promises in the Bible because the promises made to the righteous one in the Old Testament are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Let me show you a great Old Testament promise. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning in verse 6, we read this. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So yes, this is a promise for us today as well. But what does this have to do with the resurrection? Back to Jesus' disciples for a minute. Remember how their world was shattered when Jesus died. But when they saw him risen, everything changed. They never backed down again. Not merely out of fear, although there certainly was uh, a godly fear that had descended on them. But really, it was their, their loyalty to their friend was forever solidified. He was back. His promises were all true. And then he gave them a great promise in Matthew chapter 28. Beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Man, you talk about a promise. Emmanuel, God with us, not just for the 33 years that Jesus walked this earth as a man, but with us now. Jesus himself will never leave us nor forsake us. This quarantine is hard. For some of us, it's hard because you're out of work. 
For others, it's hard because of boredom. There are some people, people, people. I love people, but I've also got a strong solitary streak. But there are some people who it's like uh, not being around other people. It's like not having water or almost like not having air to breathe. And this is tough for them. Uh, it's hard because we crave that inter interaction with others. And for some, this quarantine is hard because it is just flat lonely. Maybe you live by yourself. Maybe you're isolated and you really haven't seen anybody in weeks. My word of encouragement to you, especially to the lonely today, is that he is with you always. He will never leave you. He is a very present help in times of trouble. Sometimes it can be hard to believe he's there. It was hard for the disciples to believe. Some even doubted after he rose, but they didn't doubt for long. If you will trust in him, really trust in him, he will manifest his presence in your lives with real peace, real joy, even in the midst of your isolation and loneliness. More importantly, he promises eternal life. In John chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live again. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will you make that confession of faith today. I'd like you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross and paying that price, shedding that blood, dying that death for me. I believe that you are Lord. I declare that you are my Lord, and I believe that God has raised you from the dead. Come into my life. Make me whole. Make me alive, Lord God, and make me yours. I desire to be welcomed into the family of God. I desire to be saved. And I believe in everything that Jesus has done to secure that salvation for me. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were already a believer before I prayed that prayer, uh, or if you just prayed it, guess what? We are together, the body of Christ, the family of God. We are believers. And if that's you, whether you are a member of Living Word Family Church or not, we invite you to join us now as we prepare to receive from the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians, this is, this is an ordinance that Jesus gave us, uh, gave the church. One of the, one of the things that we are to practice on a regular basis. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, we read uh, Paul's writing. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. There's no more appropriate time to share this than today. When we remember the Lord's death, 
we are remembering a lot. There is so much beautiful stuff wrapped up in the Lord's table. But look at two things. Yea, verily. Look at three things. Number one, he died. We remember his death. We remember that our salvation was bought, that we are bought with a price. And that price was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The bread reminds us that this was not simply a spiritual truth. Jesus, the Son of Man, died in a man's body, suffered in that body, and bled from that body. Number two, the glorious thing about remembering his death is that he didn't stay dead. This particularly we remember today on Resurrection Day. We cannot approach the Lord's table without remembering that. It's why even on Good Friday, which is the day we remember the actual crucifixion, there is an element of joyous anticipation because we already know the end of the story. And number three, wrapped up in these instructions that God gave us through the Apostle Paul, there is a precious promise. He is coming again. I've talked a lot in recent weeks about what a glorious day it's going to be when we can gather again, when we can assemble again in this building. Uh, it's going to be great, but how much more should we anticipate the return of our King? When we, how much more should we anticipate the day that we, his body, are once and for all eternity united with him who is our head? Let me grab the elements here. And I trust that you got the email and you're prepared to join us in this. If you don't, you can quickly grab uh, really anything. Uh, bread and wine, crackers and juice. Um, this is symbolic, but I'd like you to take it with us if you are a believer. Let's take the bread. Heavenly Father, thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this reminder that it was indeed a human body that Jesus died in. And the pain he suffered was very real. The, bled, the blood that he bled was real blood, human blood, even though it was holy, sinless blood. And we thank you for that broken body and the wholeness and healing it means for us today. And we receive that. We receive your brokenness and we receive it for our healing and our supply today. Thank you for the bread in Jesus' name. Take the cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for pouring out your blood to wash us clean, to wash us from our sins, to make us clean, to make us righteousness, for clothing us with your very righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that because of the blood, we can approach you, not as worms, not as sinners, but as redeemed, blood-bought, righteous children of God. We thank you for the covenant that we are in because of your blood, and we receive the cup with gratitude this morning in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Tune in. Keep, uh, particularly Living Word uh, Family Church folks, Check your inbox often. We want to hear from you. Keep the lines of communication open. We miss you like crazy. We're praying for you. We love you. Cannot wait to see you. God bless you and keep you in the meantime.